episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 57. This is one for the Ford guys. We've had a few Chevys on, so it's Ford time. So I've got Simeon Orvine. He's got a, uh, a really cool fridge, and we're going to have a good chat to him about that. So let's... Uh, Let's look forward to that one if you're a Ford guy or even if you're just a classic pickup guy, obviously we don't favour Fords over Chevs, over Dodgers, over Internationals. We'll, you know, I think they're all cool trucks and, and it's all good fun to talk about. Uh, I wanted to put a special mention out to uh, Bowden Boucher. We had him on the podcast episode 43. He's got a, an awesome Aussie Delivered 64 F100 that, uh, that he did a whole heap of work with, custom chassis and airbags and is awesome so I uh, I was chatting with the guys at Cruising Magazine about uh, some advertising stuff and they sort of said to me look we're going to do a, a bit of a patina uh, magazine coming up soon you know any trucks that you could maybe recommend and point us in the right direction and I just said oh you got to you got to check out this truck that Bowden's built so uh, put these guys in touch and you know awesome you know six or seven page spread so Bowden, if you're listening, um, well deserved, mate. Amazing truck, and I'm so stoked to see it in the magazine. I think you've done a great job. And and Bowden's now going on. Uh, you know, he's a plumber by trade, and and he started his own business now, and he's building trucks full time. So um, you can follow him on Instagram if you're on there. He's at Cutwell Drive, uh, and he's got a Facebook presence as well under that name. So you know, he's doing some really cool stuff with some Fords. So. Great work, Bowden. Look forward to seeing more out of this guy in the future. He's, he's really building some cool shit. Um, update on the truck show. The update is there's no update, unfortunately. Uh, you know, they're still in lockdown in Victoria. Kind of waiting to hear if regional Victoria might get out of prison soon. And, you know, we're just going to wait and see on that one. Um, I'm not really prepared to put too much time into something that's looking like it can't happen. So we'll wait and see. Um, well, certainly uh, by the end of the month or you know, mid- midway through this month, we'll make an official decision and that way anyone that's possibly booked accommodation or anything like that can, can hopefully get the money back and we can try and work a few things out. But, you know, I, if it's up to me right now, we'll do something, even if it's just a small show and shine at, in Wodonga. But, you know, that's really, that's really up to people that, you know, it's out of my hands. I, I run our local cars and coffee here in my local town of Mount Beauty and uh, you know we're meant to be having Father's Day cars and coffee on Sunday and I'm just about to put a post out to cancel that because we can't do it, it's just the way it is. Uh, okay, last thing I wanted to finish up with, um, you know like I get on, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I watch quite a bit of YouTube stuff and you know I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's ho-hum or it's the same stuff regurgitated by a different shop and nothing wrong with that it's cool you know they're playing around the building stuff they're making a tv show it's entertainment uh but every now and then you know you just come across something that i i i think is just really good quality really good information and, and educational you know i don't i don't tend to watch and listen to stuff to be entertained as as such like i do but i actually want to learn as well i want to be educated and entertained and and uh yeah so i wanted to put a big shout out to Carl fisher um I don't know if you guys are uh, aware of his stuff. He's out of Canada. He does some really cool builds. Uh, so his Instagram handles is at Japan's underscore custom. His shop's, um, you know, Japan's customs, customs with a K. Uh, he's got a great YouTube channel that, you know, he and his, his wife have recently put out. So on YouTube, it's make it custom with a K for custom, make it custom. 
And, you know, they're, they're relatively short but really informative episodes. You know, he, you know, he just runs through, you know, really detailed step-by-step processes on, on how he does things. And it, it's, it's quite technical and, and tools and, and different um, methods of doing things. And, and if you're into doing a bit of fabrication, um, you know, vehicle or otherwise, uh, I guarantee you'll learn something. And, and, you know, he's just really good at talking and learning. And, you know, I, I first found his videos, um, you know, he was, he was teaching a hammer and dolly style of fits and dents in an old 40 Willys hood. The thing had been hit by a tree and it just looked, you know, most guys would just throw it in the scrap heap and, and he just put some hours and some hard hard effort in there and he's got the thing back to something that you just paint it and put it on your truck and it's just amazing to watch how he does it, you know, by hand and then, you know, he's got a punishing hammer, um, and, you know, he's got a whole bunch of tools up his sleeve and, and just really good stuff. So anyway, enough of that, but check it out, Carl Fisher, Japan's Customs, um, really cool guy. I've been chatting to him a little bit on Instagram Messenger and I just think he does a great job. So happy to promote his stuff. Um, anyway, this is all about Simeon's truck. Uh, so sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. And uh, look forward to bringing you a few more in the coming weeks. Simeon, thanks for getting on board and having a chat to us on the podcast, mate. Appreciate your time. Um, I know you, I think you're in Victoria, is that right? That's right, Melbourne. Yeah, so uh, deep into lockdown number 477. So um, how, how have you been, mate, apart from the obvious COVID problems? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty lucky. I work in pharmaceuticals, so manufacturing side. So we're we're deemed um, essential workers. So unlike a lot of people, I've I've managed to keep an income coming in. So that pays petrol bills and and uh, stuff like that. So lucky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I you know I'm in the same boat. I, I run my own small steel fabrication business and um, managed to. I don't think what I do is essential, but I'm one man in a shed, so I sort of I'm on my own anyway. So I'm still still punching along, but yeah. So I mean, I came across you on on Instagram, and you know, I, I saw your truck, and and we were chatting just before we started recording. But you know, I, the fridges have really grown on me, and I, I thought it'd be really cool to have a chat to you, and, and we'll get we'll get to your truck shortly. But tell us a little bit about your uh, you know, as a young bloke, what. What maybe got you into cars? Do you have some early memories or your first memories of automotive stuff? Yeah, I, I'm a pretty visual person by nature. I, I always drew, and I think drawing was, I was just fascinated with cars and having a dad that he was taking me to car shows uh, as soon as I could walk, I think, although it was pretty much all European. Like he was a member of the Ferrari club, he didn't own a Ferrari. But um, we used to go to the Ferrari club meetings. And so I was lucky enough as a kid, like, you know, four or five-year-old, to go in some pretty, at the time, they were special cars, but now they're, you know, multi-million dollar cars that I'd never get to touch again. Um, so that was my kind of introduction into into the automotive world, which is yeah, a lot different to what I'm into now. And not, not just because of the money thing, you know, um, they're beautiful cars, the 250 series Ferraris. Um, and up until like the mid 70s Ferraris, I think they're great cars, beautiful cars, but they're not really usable as far as I can see. Um, so then my taste as I've, I've got into my teenage, teenage years was more into the big American stuff, um, galaxies. And I'm not, I'm not either a Ford or a Holden man, but they tended to be more Ford related vehicles that I liked for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, they they had really nice styling, uh, you know. Back at my old man had a '59 Ford Custom line, and you know, I I grew up in that and going to every car and car show and swap meet and rod run and yeah, it's um, the, it's funny because they you look at the modern, you know, say a modern F three fifty or an, or a modern um, Chevy Silverado and. I mean, if you, if you know your trucks, you can see that they're different, but you can also look at them from a distance and go, they don't look that different anymore. But I think back back then, the styling were really different. Like, not... Oh, for sure. Yeah, not not like night and day different, but the styling, I don't know, it was just... It was really, really well, that, pretty. Oh, yeah, the, all, all three, Dodge, Chevy and, and Ford, have had three different kind of 
ways of looking at vehicle design as far as I can see, especially in 1960, like the year my truck was made, 1960, the Chevy version of it looks crazy. Like, you know, the, the, the bonnet, um, kind of like the cat's eyes on the bonnet, um, really uh, Chev- Chevrolet seemed to be more of like a younger person's kind of look at, at vehicle design, whereas Ford was a bit more kind of re- uh, restrained, I guess. Um, that's my interpretation of it. Uh, and also, like, say, like a 63 Galaxy, which is one of my favourite uh, sedan cars, whether it's a coupe, wagon or um, convertible, compared to a 63 Impala, very, very different looking cars, but basically same dimensions and, and pretty successful in racing, both of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you know, I've I've done trivia things where, you know, you can just see the back corner of a headlight or, or of a taillight or, a, you know, just a little bit of an emblem and, you know, and... And having grown up, you know, going to all the swap meets and getting classic car magazine all the time, and you know, I I can look at just that that one little bit of a photo of a small section of a car, and I can go, yeah, that's a 1950 Chev, or that's a, you know, but if you, I think if you did that these days, I don't, I'd be lucky if I got 20% of them right with a modern car, like I would just have no idea because they all look the same. For sure, man, and it, it takes that interest, doesn't it? You, you've got to be interested in something to to pick up on those details and I'm the same I reckon you could show me pretty much any car from like say mid 50s up until the 70s and or even 80s really and I'd pretty I'd be pretty confident I could guess guess most of them uh detail wise and just you know like like you said a hubcap or a bumper bar um but as far as anything like I know JDM stuff is popular with uh a lot of people now but I'm not really into them uh, like, you know, 90s uh, Japanese sports cars, huge horsepower potential and stuff like that, but they don't really do much for me. Um, so, yeah, my tastes are very much, say, 50s and 60s, uh, all makes, trucks as well, hmm. for sure. Yeah, that's cool. So so when you turned 18, you know, you've been looking at Ferraris and you've seen the top of the, the tops. What what was uh, Simeon driving around on his P-plates when he was 18? What, what was the first yeah. car? Yeah. Well, that, um, that had a, a bunch of European cars and like Fiat's, Alphas, uh, a couple of, uh, he had one Ford XP station wagon and a HQ Holden that that he had for a little while as well. But that's that's all his Aussie stuff. But he bought um, a Volk, he bought a place called Volkswagen in 1986. Prior to that, he was a taxi driver, had a massive accident, uh, someone else's fault, and he got a payout. And with that money, he he bought this business, Volksrec, which is uh, was in Moorabbin, Levenswell Road, Moorabbin, and he got that in '86. And as much as I wasn't into Volkswagens, they were still cars, and there was grease everywhere, and there was engine parts everywhere, and there's panels, and you know I could go there and just pull bumper bars off cars, or, or you know pick up a spanner and and start exploring. Not that I knew what I was doing, but I wasn't going to break anything there. It was a wreckers. So, it was, you know, it was, it was just cool. It was a good place to hang around on the weekends. Um, and by the time I did turn 18, I started to get a bit of a soft spot for, you know, early Beatles and Combis. And so that uh, knew this. And for my 20th birthday, he organised a 67, 67 split-screen bus. And I was like, oh, this is cool, you know, We'll do it up, and me and my girlfriend can drive around Australia <laughs> as a twenty-year-old with you know no idea of what what it's going to take to restore this vehicle, and and even then, like driving a '67 bus around Australia in the '90s was still going to be a bit of a, an effort, and I think it was a bit optimistic. So anyway, when we went to get it registered, it turned out it was a stolen vehicle. Oh. So the cops got in touch with the original owners, well, the people it was stolen off, and of course, it was it was in so much better condition than when they had it pinched that they had the option of buying it back off us, which they did. And uh, so that was a bit heartbreaking, really. Um, but then it was like a succession of Beatles. I had a 74 Beetle, which I, I should have appreciated more than I did, but I really liked the early stuff. So as soon as I saw a 56 for sale, the oval screen Beetle, um, I, well, one of the oval screen Beetles, I sold the 74 and drove that oval for for a few years. Um, 
and I still I really still wish I kept that car. Yeah, uh, they're pretty cool. They 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 are real cool. They, you know, I mean, obviously a split would be the ultimate setup, but the the ovals are just a. Even, you know, same thing, like the, the shape of that beetle didn't change a whole lot. But if you really know the difference between how a, an oval and, a you know, like the bigger window look, it, yep. they're subtle changes, but I really like the early ones. They're really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like everything. Those who know, you know, they're, they're took the night and day. But like my girlfriend will see a 74 bug and go, oh, look, that's like your old beetle. <laughs> and, it's you know, to me it's nothing alike, but, you know, that, that requires that little bit of knowledge and, and being into them, mm. you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, but, yeah. Cool, yeah. I, I We have something in common. I had a 67 uh, 11 window micro bus at one stage that uh, I also never got to drive on the road. <laughs> well, I never got to drive on the road. Uh, but I, uh, that's where I uh, first learned how to, well, tried to learn how to weld and, and restore. So, I, yeah, I, I, cut my, um, I cut my knuckles on a split-screen combi and ended up selling it and never finishing it. But, um, yeah, I, it's funny. I, I speak to a lot of people who are into especially pickup trucks, but, you know, and chevs. A lot of a lot of people have a history in Volkswagen Beetles and buses. It's really interesting. Yeah, I've noticed that too, uh, especially like with social media, on uh, the F100 or Fidge page um, on Facebook. It seems like every third or fourth picture there might be a, a Beetle in the background or a, a Type Three Fastback or something. That they they never seem too far away, which is um, unusual because they're vast, vastly different cars. They are, but I, I think as a young person, you know, like obviously, you know, you let loose in the in the wrecking yard, but you know, it's it's just such an easy motor to work on. There's no radiator, you know. The you've got a body and a floor pan and a couple of bits of suspension and engine. Like they are, doesn't get any easier than a Volkswagen Beetle. That is true. They're absolutely true. Yeah. And actually, the only one, the only car that I've really kind of put together myself was a, a '64 Beetle, one of one of the series of Beetles that I've had. Um, I pulled that apart. And it was the first kind of time I I really did that by myself. Um, I think I was like 20, 26 maybe, so a bit older, um, and just pulled that apart and learned how to you know sand back and, and repaint things, uh, cut a little bit of rust out, and attempt at welding. Not that not that I'm a natural welder by any means, um, but yeah, uh, it, kind of uh, a really good entry level uh, vehicle to start pulling things apart and having to go at restoration on. Like you're right, that's um, you couldn't get much easier than than a Volkswagen Bug. And I mean, every single part you could ever want to fix it is available at the click of a button too. So, you know, I, um, you look, you could build a brand new you know, 1960 split wing, split screen combi if you wanted from just brand new parts. It's amazing what's available for the Volkswagens. And I don't know, the Chev guys are really lucky with that, with their pickups. And then Ford's not bad. And then you look at guys who are building Dodges and things and it's just, you've got to fabricate everything because nothing's available. So yeah. yeah, that's really cool. And so then, you know, just a bunch of different cars through your life. I mean, what, what was a dream car that, that you finally got when you were a bit younger? You, you've got a red car that I think is pretty cool. Um, red car? Is that... I'm not sure. Is the Ferrari yours? Oh, yeah. No, no. That's not, that's not mine. That Dad's Dino, yeah. Oh, it's Dad's? That's, well, actually, that's, yeah, that's Dad's. And, and that's for sale at the moment. So that, that was a bit heartbreaking. But he can't get in and out of it uh, very easily anymore. And then to tell you the truth, I'm 47 and I'm starting to struggle getting in and out of it. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll miss – I wouldn't drive it a lot, but occasionally, like, say, my birthday or something, he'd, he'd say, oh, come, come and grab the Dino, it needs to be driven. And so, I'd, you know, sometimes take it out for the day with my girlfriend. So, it was, yeah, great. that's a great car. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, you know, like, my he was living in London in 1969 with my mum, and I'm pretty sure it was accidental that my sister, you know, was was created. 
And him being the stand-up bloke that he is, instead of like just darting off, he did the right thing by mum and they got married. And that kind of meant he had to pull back on a lot of things. Like, I'm pretty sure, because there was cars being sold over there then, like 250 series Ferraris, where if someone you know, of modest means, if you, if you kept your... Um, if you kept your spending, you know, careful and you didn't have kids, you could probably buy one of these X racing Ferraris. And um, he kind of missed that boat when he had, when my mum had uh, my sister. And then they moved back to Melbourne in 73 and had me in 74. So I think what dad did then, because I came home from hospital in a 356 Porsche, uh, 356B Porsche. And then dad ended up selling that to buy our first house. So a lot of sacrifices on my dad's behalf. You know, he's car passionate, but he always did the right thing by mum and, and the kids. Uh, but he's still, like, within his budget, like he had a, a TR3, TR4, and on all of these, he'd, he would do as much, as much work as he could, you know, to save money. Um, but the Ferrari was a kind of an elusive thing for him. Um, it wasn't until mum and dad split up in the late 90s and because they bought the house in Hampton and Hampton was a bit of a working class suburb but by the late 90s uh, in, in between Sandringham and Brighton it had started to increase in value so mum and dad split up they sold the house with with her part of the money mum bought a place in Parkdale and dad, and dad bought a 250 GTE Ferrari and and with the rest of the money gave my sister to buy her place on the condition that he could live in the barn out the back. So so Dad still lives in this barn that's out the back. Um, he kept the 250 GT Ferrari in his shop and over a number of years restored that. But sadly, as, as it got, you know, finished, interior done, paint all done, um, he sold it to a mate uh, who is a, a big Ferrari person in Melbourne. Uh, I won't mention his name, but... If I did, people would know who I'm talking about. Uh, he bought it off Dad uh, for enough money that Dad was able to buy this Dino. So the 308 GT4 Dino is a bit of a an ugly duckling, much like the fridge is in the F100 community, um, but it's still got a flat-plane 3-litre quad-cam V8. Um, so it sounds great. I don't mind the design look of it. It's a Bertone design, and that was the only one he designed for Ferrari. All the other Ferrari road cars are Pininfarina. Um, so that was nice to see Dad get that and, and finally be able to enjoy driving a Ferrari, even though it's badged as a Dino. Um, and he was really extremely proud to, to drive that around. But by this stage, going to Ferrari shows had kind of lost its... Um, well, I was having a conversation with him the other day. I said I could almost pinpoint the time in my life where going to Ferrari shows stopped being fun and I kind of realised the money that was involved and the different classes of people there and you know rocking up in an old Alpha you could almost see some people look down their nose at at that and myself like we didn't belong there Mm. and and maybe that was just self-conscious of me but um, that's how I truly felt and like the kind of the magic disappeared uh, probably in my late teenage years where I kind of started realising hey People that own these cars, they're not like the same people that that I hang around with. That's probably got a long-winded, long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, no, it's I. I just think it's an, an awesome story because you know you, you know, like you're you're in your later forties now. I'm in my mid forties, and you know, I'm I'm still putting together my dream truck, and it's going to be another few years before that's on the road, and you know, maybe. I'll be knocking on 50, you know, by the time this is where I want it to be. And, and you you know, I remember being an 18-year-old, 20-year-old kid or whatever, and you see this old guy driving a nice car and you're like, oh, what a waste, you know, <laughs> you should have them when you're younger. And and yeah. it, it, it's kind of, in some ways, it's true, you know, it would be awesome to have your dream car when you're 25, but you'd probably just wreck it anyway and you wouldn't appreciate it. But, yeah, I mean, so many of us work so hard and and dream big and, you know, chase the dream and, and for whatever reason, you you hopefully finally get that vehicle that that you want. And you know, I don't care what it is, whether it's a Citroen or it's a, you know, like a 
Toyota Celica, like everyone's got their own dream car and it doesn't really matter what it is. But no, that's a cool story. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, he got to own a couple of Ferraris because, you know, spend your whole life, like you say, not having the money and going to the shows and it, it would start to grind on you after a while. Yeah. Yeah. But he's pretty um, stoic like that. He, he's um, m- much more than myself. Like I probably, I probably, but it's good how you pointed that out. Like it, it's true. I'm glad. And I was telling Paul this, uh, Jackie's dad, who who built the truck. I was telling him this the other day. I'm, I appreciate that truck much more now, even though I would have loved to have it in my mid twenties. What it's taken to get it now makes the whole ownership of it a lot different, um, and much more special. And I think, you know, it'd be great to have millions and millions of dollars, but then owning these things doesn't have the same meaning then, you know, like, cause you just go out and buy it. Uh, but for people like us, the, the journey of, of getting to it in that driver's seat and, and having those keys in your hand and, and pulling up the servo and, and filling up with, with petrol and then having to chat to someone about your vehicle, it makes it that much more special. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it truly is a journey. I mean, I, I guess it's similar to someone who, you know, whether if you buy an old house and, and you do a full resto and, you know, you work on it or if you build a new house from scratch and, you know, a lot of people start that process not knowing the first thing and they get an architect and they build a house and and even though, you know, quite often they haven't physically even picked up a paintbrush or a hammer, but it's still something that they design in their head and they've spent the money to get the work done and they've ended up with something that was their vision. And I, I believe cars are the same, you know, like this... There's plenty of guys that we've spoken to on the podcast or, or guys that you just see at a show and you're like, oh, that's an amazing truck, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they'll be like, yeah, I just imported it just like this, you know. And and part of part of you goes, oh, so you didn't build it. But like, so what? It's it's the truck that you want. You've got the money. Yeah. Maybe, you know, your skill's not being able to build something. Your skill's something else that earns you money. And then you pay someone else to build your truck. And, and I think it's... Um, it, it's been interesting for me. This podcast has been a journey because I, I was a real built, not bought kind of guy. I I don't know if I'd say I'd turn my nose up at people, but I, I didn't give people enough credit when they just purchased the vehicle as is. And to me, yeah. it was always like, oh, you know, I, I want to build my own. And, and that's me because I, I'm just a hands-on guy. I like to make stuff. I, if, I, won't, yeah. I won't buy a tool if I can make it. But then, you know, you don't see and appreciate the thousands of heart hard hours work that have gone into getting the money to buy the car in the first place for that person so yeah and i mean i it sounds like you're in the middle of that those two yeah, I, really I was just about to say that i was just about to say that i really do feel like in the middle of that and i was, I was almost a bit um embarrassed or felt a bit like a phony talking to you on your podcast about this knowing well finding out that you're a fabricator you know like when people ask me oh did you build that i i wish i could say i did but you know i just there's no way I mean, I'd still be like um, burning my hands and, and uh, you know, making puddles of bird shit with the uh, welder <laughs> as we speak. So that was my only op- option of doing it. But it's nice to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, and look, and look oh, you know, I, I've stalked your Instagram feed over the last few days prior to us having a chat so that I sort of have an idea. And, you know, you're not, you're not sitting up in your office just, just writing checks. I mean, there's there's photos of you just covered in shit from grinding the underside of the bed, and you know you you're not afraid to get your hands dirty where your skill set allows. Yeah, well, and and that was a and that was a good part of having Paul build it too, mate. Um, if I had have gone to a shop, which I came very close to, uh, I was going to take it to Rollo, and had that been the case, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. You know, like a. But, but knowing Paul for as long as I have and, and knowing his sons and, and now having a relationship with his daughter um, allowed me to, to have those opportunities. Like, you know, like he would push me a little bit further out of my comfort zone than I'd be prepared to go. Um, and I, I cut myself and burnt myself numerous times and we'd joke about having like um, a, a, a whiteboard up at, at the workshop, you know, number of days since last incident and it'd just be my name there. <laughs> because I'd be the only clown hitting himself with a hammer, or you know, uh, the angle grinder jumping off a weld and and cutting my hand. But yeah, like I said, if it wasn't for Paul and and having Paul do, do the job, 
I wouldn't have had those opportunities. So that was a another good thing about uh, Paul doing it. Hmm. No, that's awesome. So that, let's let's wind back a little bit and and talk about the truck. What? Yep. What do you think it was that that sort of said to you one day, "I want to get a pickup truck"? Did, was that something that happened, or did you? just see this thing advertised and just go, oh, that'd be cool, or, or did you go searching? Uh, yeah, definitely it was a search. Um, a, a good mate of mine, I'd say my best friend, not that I really use that term, I've just he's my oldest friend. Uh, when I when I moved to a new high school in Year 9, Rabin City uh, Secondary College, I met this bloke, Justin Bennett, and um, we just kind of struck it off. We'd be uh, not, we'd talk, we'd talk about, Rock bands, punk bands, uh, you know, music in general, girls and cars. And I remember him this one day at school saying, how cool would it be to have like an F100 right like with skinny, just black rims, skinny tyres, just slammed. And this was, so this would have been 1991, 1990. And I can't recall seeing one done like that. You know, back then you'd see jacked up F100s but I can't remember ever seeing a lowered one. So they just kind of put that uh, that germ in my in my brain, uh, like a, a seed. And so I kind of always liked the idea of that, but, you know, it was years between that and, and me seeing the truck. So I think what happened was, you know, 20 years later, he got his first F100. It was a dent side. Um big mud tyres on it on sun rages with a 351 four-speed. And I kind of fell in love with it. I was like, that's so cool, you know, and, and potentially that could be the truck that I lower. And so I offered him some money for it, and he's like, yeah, yeah, nah. And he didn't sell it to me, and I was I was a bit miffed. But it turns out he didn't want to sell it to me because the body was so bad, like the, the rust in it was really bad. And it, I don't think he had it in his heart to do it to me. And he probably figured... I'd probably drag him into it and he'd probably end up having to work on it as well and he just didn't want to do that. So he, he ended up selling it um, and that that's when I started looking for him. And that's when I kind of realised that, you know, geez, what, what do I want? Do I want a fat fender? Do I want a bump side? Do I want a dent side? And and this is before the, the prices started going, you know, through the roof. But they were still, you know, I suppose twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 depending on, on what it was. Um, and for a fat fender that had been customised, then it's a sixty thousand dollar truck, and, and I didn't have so I didn't have the money to do that. Um, at this at the at this time, Dad still had his shop in Moorabbin, and I was driving a I was driving a sixty four Beetle, the sixty four Beetle that I put together. And so I left his workshop. I'd, I'd looked at a few different seventies models, but which I call Ivan Malat specials. They're kind of like you know got the Sunrages, Bull Bar, um, CB radio in it. Nothing that, not visually what I want, and probably a lot of them four-wheel drives. Uh, but they were F100s and they for sale. So I was going out to look at them, and, yeah, all of them just, no, nah, that's not what I'm after, not what I'm after. And I left that shop around the corner in Herald Street in Rabin um, was the fridge. And I, I, just the way the light was hitting it in the morning, was it like a baby blue um, matte matte paint? It kind of looked like a, a Hot Wheels truck, or like a, a probably a, a like say a late eighties style. What what they would hot rod it at F one hundred, like in California, and it had the black and yellow California paint on the back. I was like, wow! And had a for sale sign on it. And I went up, had a squeeze, and the bloke who owned it owns um, K and A Mustangs. I think he's still there. And so he imports Mustangs and sells them, and he obviously found this fridge somewhere and and uh, bought it over. And he's like, oh, have have a drive of it, you know. Uh, but mind you, the brakes are pretty ordinary. And I was like, man, look, look, I drive that Beetle, like so I know what bad brakes are like. But I've hopped in it. Uh, three had a three hundred two Windsor in it. I think all the running gear was out of a, a Fox body Mustang. So the EFI three hundred two Windsor, but with a carby on it, just a two barrel. Um, AOD transmission, eight and three quarter diff, uh, with those kind of big and little tyres front and back on on steelies. And so anyway, I've got to the first intersection, gone to brake and just sailed straight through the intersection. The, like the brakes were that that much worse than the Beetle, but I, I loved it. It was cool, like the, the metal dash, 
Um, the, the colour of the, you know, the interior paint's original. The, the outside looked heavy, like it looked like it was painted with a house brush, but the, the body looked good. It looked the, the steel seemed solid. It hadn't been hit. The tub was straight. So I kind of went back and said, oh, look, I'll think about it. But for the next couple of days, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, so I was obviously, I'm, and I'm not much of a negotiator, so I was just passionately thinking, I've got to have this truck. So I went back there and he's like, okay, so how much do you reckon it's worth? And I'm, I still kick myself when I think about this story because, one, it's embarrassing, um, proving how poor a negotiator I am. And, uh, well, it's just embarrassing. So anyway, I've, I've said to him, oh, 10? And he went, yep. I'll take it. And I'm like, oh, wow, I could have said like five, <laughs> you know, but like I was so embarrassed that I'd said 10 and he'd said yes. I was like, okay, I guess it's mine. So I went to the bank and by this stage I, I've got my first property, this two bedroom unit in Bond Beach. And um, I went to the bank and said, look, I want to do some um, bathroom and kitchen renovations. And they're like, oh, fine, yes, here's the money. So I used that money to, to buy the truck. <laughs> nice. um, and I still haven't renovated the bathroom or the kitchen here. Well, you, you could yeah. genuinely say that you spent the money on a fridge. Like, exactly. That's mm. it's white goods. Yeah. <laughs> but um, like since since then, I, I know I, could, I couldn't – you couldn't buy one now for 10 grand that, that drove anyway, so – and that's not something I, I think back on and, and kick myself about the money. It's just more of my naivety and how I went about the purchase. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I first got her, and I think I think it was about twelve years ago that happened. Um, so I drove I drove it when it was as long as it wasn't raining, I was driving it. So I'd use the Beetle in the wet and the truck um, when it wasn't raining. And I think the first thing that happened was did a head gasket probably three months into the ownership and that was like oh no biggie um pulled pulled the engine out dad dad rebuilt the engine for me um put it back in uh did the trans as well transmission got rebuilt and then drove it for probably another year but it just there was something it wasn't right like it was it was making funny sounds like i thought it was a, a sucking sound from the exhaust um the wiring it had the wiring was outrageous like as a lot of those trucks are that are owned from you know 1960 through the 70s and 80s and 90s and probably never taken off the road and everyone has their own little go at adding something to it and not taking off the previous wiring and you know fixing other someone else's stuff ups so it was a real hodgepodge of um nastiness so anyway i drove it uh like that for a bit but it was it was getting to the point where i couldn't even enjoy it like you know it was it just wasn't running right so that's when i first met paul um who are mates who's sorry a dad of, of mates that i've known for a long time and uh he just started his first shop or one of his he's been in and out of the trade for a while over, over the years like he's, he's a jack of all trades really so he just started a shop um and my mate said, take it to Dad. He'll be able to sort it for you. And I was like, you know what? I'm on a bit of a tight budget. He's like, don't worry. Just go and see him. He'll, he'll help you out. And he did. I I think he had it for two weeks. He pulled out a, like what was a bucket of wires, uh, just chopped out things that didn't need to be there, things that ran nowhere, um, got everything working. The sound that I was hearing that I thought was like a sucking sound from the exhaust was actually the um, the plate that sits between the bell housing and the block. Uh, when when that was put back in, it had a, uh, like a kink in it, so the the, uh, the flex plate was scratching on that. And I was, I was hearing this this like a, a sh 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 type sound. Um, and he like he did, like it was a, would have been a horrible job for a mechanic that works on new cars and stuff like that. Like going through all this horrible old wiring and and crap. Um, he did a really good job. And so I drive it like that for another couple of years. But then it really started falling apart. And I'd always wanted to do this slam thing. and But it, it, it was going to take money and it was going to take a shop that I I knew and, and, and trusted. And both of those things didn't seem like they were ever going to eventuate. Um, so in between this time, it's like probably another 10 years long down the road. Um, I'd had, I was still driving the Beetle 
Um, and Paul had started another shop. So he'd, he'd left the trade in between fixing my truck. Uh, or No, he was working for, he was working out of someone's shop. In between that, then he, he got a, another place and started his own business like, uh, just with him in the shop by himself. And so, and I also got paid out. So I'd been working at a, a previous, another pharmaceutical job um, for 16 years. The whole time I'd been trying to get a payout. I'd seen all these other people getting like redundancy payouts. I'm like, this could be my, this, cause, this is my ticket. This is my ticket to getting the truck done. And after 16 years of begging for this redundancy payout, I finally got one. So, and it was, it was a considerable amount of money. But I knew that, A, I needed to find another job so I could keep paying my mortgage off. I couldn't just blow all this on the truck. I needed I needed another source of income. And I, I still I hadn't heard of uh, Paul opening this new shop. Anyway, find out that Paul has this shop. I end up finding another full-time job, and it's the perfect. Yeah, the, the, the planets aligned. So I drove the truck around there, and it was really on its last legs. Uh, the I-beam... The on the left, the shackles were that far gone. It was kind of had about like three inches of movement on the left-hand side. The trans was being held in by one bolt. Um, the drive shaft was hanging on by another one bolt. And like I was driving, I was driving it accordingly prior to it getting so bad. Like I'd, I'd be looking up the road 200 metres ahead to make sure that you know the, the traffic people were breaking you know so i was giving myself plenty of time to stop but it was it was starting to become unenjoyable to drive and unsafe and i was like you know what i'm not going to restore leaf spring suspension i'm not going to restore a steering box i'm not going to restore drums this this needs to happen and so i went and saw paul he's like yep we can do it he goes what do you want i just said i want it as low as you can get it um like at, uh, static ride height, not on bags, um, but and I want the wheels tucked in. Like I want that look where, like, so from the three quarter looking at it, you can't really see the wheels. Um, which I, I still like that look. Some people go, well, "What's what's with the wheels being so tucked in? Why, why have you done that?" I just like that look. Um, Paul, exactly. I, I tried to explain it to him as best I could, and he's nailed it. Like, there's not one part of that truck that I'm not happy with um and even along the way he kind of pushed me in a few directions along the way like initially i didn't want to do anything to the body i just wanted to take the body and tub off and and have the the chassis done um new wheels brakes tires engine etc and then just put the body back on but he kind of encouraged me to you know no rip the, rip the carpet out you know why wheel inside it and we'll paint it up in, inside and so things like that he he kind of pushed pushed me to, to go a little bit further with the build than I uh, initially anticipated. Because that, that's the perfect time to do that, isn't it? I mean, the body's off the truck. It's sitting on a dolly or something like that. Um, you know, you, you've probably got half a dash out of it anyway, steering columns out. You know, it, it really is often, and, and quite often you don't quite have the money to do everything like that. But when you think about it, if you can stretch yourself and do it at the right time rather than, another two or three years down the track you decide to do it then you've got to pull it all apart again it's a nightmare exactly and and that's why i'm like partly my laziness and partly i was also like oh you know how much is this going to cost but and again i'm i'm so fortunate that the build happened with paul because you know he had, he had the patience with me and he also had the patience to have the, the truck there for that amount of time it was kind of like the deal was look it's not going to happen in six months it's, it's going to take, will take as long as it takes, pretty much. So in that time, he's still doing, you know, customer services. Um, he had a few other builds that he was doing uh, at the time. There's an XY there, uh, a, a friend of his race car. He races in super sedans. So he, he had a lot of, like, a couple of special builds, and there's a lot of customer cars coming in just for servicing. So the truck was pretty much getting worked on just on the weekends, and uh, especially last lockdown. Um, I was going there. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this or not. I was working. I was working on my car, so I had to. You know, it was, it was essential. It was essential work. Um, I'd spend as much time as I could there, helping. You know, whatever whatever it took to do, whatever whatever I could do to help, and to you know just move, keep it moving along. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. 
So I've got a sneaky question for you. Yep. So the day that you took your truck in to get fixed by Paul and Justin, yeah. were you dating his daughter at that stage? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, Jackie and I have not, like, I've not, she's a bit younger than me. You know, I'm 47, Jackie's 35. And she was always my mate's little sister. And as much as I found her attractive, that was kind of like it was a no-go zone. You know, like, you don't, can't do that. But then over the years, there'd, there'd been a couple of times where it sneakily been sneaky. And 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 then... And then because I'd, I'd gone around to the shop a couple of times and, and I'd spoken to Jackie on Facebook or whatever, uh, we, we started hanging out a bit more regularly and, and, and that's kind of when it became more serious and like, oh, well, it's okay, that's it, we're in a relationship now. And, and initially I was concerned. I was a little bit sceptical of how jackie's mom and dad were going to accept that and and her brothers but everyone was really cool like i've never been married i've had a number of lovely uh, relationships i've never had a kid i haven't had kids so maybe that was maybe made it a little bit easier for them i don't know but it, it just it worked out really well and i've um become really fond of of the whole family uh so and then that's why the trucks become even more important to me because it's kind of it is part of the family. Um, I actually got a message on Instagram the other day from a bloke saying, you know, I love your truck, nice build. If you ever want to sell it, uh, you know, just let me know. And I kind of, it was a bit, bit hurtful to me. I mean, as much as it's a compliment, but it's like, you know, trying to sell a family member. There's no way. I'd never sell it. Um, and Paul's even said to me, he goes, look, you know, what if someone offered you stupid money for it? I was like, no way, it's it's not for sale. He goes, but we could do it again. You could you could just buy another truck and we'd do it again. I'm like, no, this this, this is a keeper. It, may, it just means too much for me. Um, I'm I'm a fairly emotional person anyway, and I get really attached to things. But this truck, and and considering some of the cars I've I've let go in my my time, and the age that I'm at, uh, this is it for me. I'm this this one's a keeper. So yeah. It, it, and it's become so much more special because of, of Jackie and the family too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's yeah, it's got real connections. And, you know, it's like uh, a lot. you don't get uh, – you do get in Australia, but you don't – I don't seem to hear it as much as you do in the States. But, you know, someone who's got grandpa's old truck or, you know, like this was my dad's truck. and But, you know, like I was never blessed to have that opportunity. My, my old man had a – clapped out ht and that was about the best we ever got but uh you know I'd, I'd i'd love to have a vehicle that that belonged to one of my family members and i you know as part of the and that's the same thing i don't think you could ever sell it and you know like it that that wasn't uh paul's truck but i mean you guys have got blood sweat and tears like you've you could have sounds like you could have parked the blood donor vehicle out the front for a while and they would have done all right and and that's what it's you know that's what it's all about is for me it's 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 knowing that, you know, every part, you know, you, you probably help put stuff together and you, you and you'll know when you're driving it, if something's doing something a bit strange, you'll be like, I reckon I know what that is because I remember putting that part in there, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, I, I did have a bit of a, the first failure, um, and which I was anticipating, you know, it's a, it's a brand new thing. Like, and like you said, everything's been put back. So I was anticipating things to go wrong, but so far everything's been fine until last weekend um i live quite close to station street and that's had a lot like all the railway railway works going along there um a lot of potholes and stuff so but i've been driving up and down there no problem um i was coming around uh through mordialic last weekend and i could hear like a knocking sound it wasn't mechanical it wasn't engine knocking it was like something suspension orientated and, but I did kind of, you know, get a bit worried about it. Oh, well, I'll just drive really slowly home. I was close to home, so I just drove real slow home. Got it in uh, under the carport, jacked it up, had a squeeze underneath, and, and sure enough, the stabiliser bar, the sway bar, had, like snapped at two rose joints. Um, and it's just that was a, a failure of the the part, not not of the build. You know, like um, it was poor die cast metal. Um, but 
yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, well, look, at least I can look under there and, and see what it is, and it's not a biggie. So I just took it off, and, and I've, I've been driving it like that since. But um, then uh, just on Monday, uh, there's another suspension sound, so I've, I've got to take it back to the shop this weekend and um, suss out what that is. Um, but, yeah, I was anticipating lots to go wrong with it, and so far that's the only thing. So it's a credit to Paul. He, it's an amazing achievement to actually do that, like, Build, a, build something from scratch and and that all works yeah no that's cool hey, yeah and you're always going to have teething problems and that you know that's part of the the progress so yeah i mean we'll, we'll post some pictures up but you know for the guys listening um from what i can see there you you've got a mustang 2 front end unit um you did a rear notch and it's all on uh on coilovers so you know they, they'd be a bit of adjustability in those coilovers have, have you played around a bit with that or has it just been set and forget and the ride's great yeah, well, I was a little concerned because I've, I've lent on it the first couple of times once it's, you know, finally on it, on its wheels and it kind of felt like a bit bouncy to me. I'm like, you know, Paul, what's up with that? And he's like, oh, look, they're not the greatest truckers, but they'll be fine. And to tell you the truth, it has, the, ride, the ride is better than my, like I've got a, an, an old AU XR6 that's my daily. For one thing, the brakes on the truck have, far superior like it pulls up just amazing uh, it's probably a little lighter than the au deceivingly to look at it you look at the truck and you think it'd be much heavier but it's actually i think it'd be a, at least 100 kilos lighter um and the ride seems to be a lot more compliant even though it's so low um but i think that's one thing we could look into upgrading the shocks and also putting or well, when i Re, refit the front sway bar, putting in a rear sway bar. Um, but, but, I mean, considering how low it is, like it's 125 mil, it might be a little bit higher. I think Paul might have raised it up to 135 or 140 mil. Um, it goes over speed humps fine. Like, I mean, I'm not jumping them. I'm not going over them at 80k an hour or anything, but uh, I think there's one one speed hump at Chelsea Woolies that the cab scrapes on. Because the, the cab's lower than the chassis, the chassis's up higher in in underneath the truck. The lowest point is the cab sill, and that will just slightly scrape on this one speed hump. So, you know, considering how low it is, that's that's pretty cool. That's like it's usable, you know. Yeah, no, I I think it, you know, the the stance on it looks amazing. It's it's really really nice. So, did you end up? changing the engine or has it still got the old 302 in it yeah well that was the plan also to you know keep costs down and everything um but having said that paul has a number of engines either coming in out of cars or he's got a few lined up um that bloke with the xy is get was getting a you know a 600 horsepower na monster the dark block built at dandy engines and he had a 351 clevo that was coming out of it and Paul came around here excited. This is about a year and a half ago, two years ago. He came around here one afternoon after one night after work, all excited. And he's like, so guess what? I'm like, what? Uh, well, Brett, Brett uh, sold me that 351 Clevo. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, not putting two and two together. He's like, well, you, you could buy it and put it in the truck. I'm like, yeah, but Paul, I, I can't afford to do that. Like, the plan was just to freshen up the 302. And he's like, no, no, we can do it. We can do it. And I was kind of a bit nervous, like the, the truck build had been taking a bit longer than I thought. And, oh, my God, now I'm spending, what, how much more on this engine? Um, obviously, I'm, I'm a bit of a nervous Nelly in, in situations like this, whereas Paul's just like, let's just do it. Anyway, so when he's measured the, the, the height of it, it was too tall. The 351 was too tall for the engine bay uh, with the cross member that we had. Um I suppose you could probably fit it in if you went try something or something like that. But um, that kind of eliminated that. And he's like, okay, we're going to have to stick with a 302. But when he pulled my engine out, um, he's, him and uh, Juz have like pushed the the um, the bloody um, harmonic balancer in. It's about an inch of play in the crank. So I, I seriously do not know how the engine was still running. Like there, there was a, an inch of slop in in the crank, and he's like, "Well, that's yeah, that's rooted. You, that's we can't save that." So that was put aside, and he's like, "You know what? I've still got my 302 Windsor. 
that was in, he had in a Toyota Hiace van. And I remember actually going in that, and that would have been 93 or 94. Juz would have just got his license. And that actually scared me. We were going up um, South Road in Moravan in this Hiace van with his 302. Not a crazy cam, but a fairly, fairly uh, keppy cam in it. Um, and stock internals, nothing, nothing crazy, but it, it just sounded incredible. And it was moving a Toyota Hiace along, which was full of you know, plumbing tools, much quicker than a Toyota Hiace fan should be going. So I always remembered that. And he, after selling the Hiace fan, he put that engine in. In uh, I think he put it in an XF, the Ute, and then he and then he's put it in his shed. And so he dragged that out. He dragged that out and. Um, Got all the machining done at Dandy Engines. Uh, still got element, uh, still heads. Uh, nothing crazy. Uh, the carby in it's a, it's a Holly injector carb, like so injector, but like a carburetor sits on top of the manifold. Uh, Nine hundred CFM. Um, so plenty of plenty of carburation for for what the power is. I think it's uh, Lou didn't dyno it at its full. Full RPM. He did, he, we dynoed it to run it in, uh, and also put the, the double valve springs in. So he's he's done the run in just with the single valve springs, then put in the double valve springs, uh, but didn't do a full power run. But I'm, I'm guessing it's kind of probably around the 300 horsepower at the wheels. So from where I've come from driving Beetles, it's it's plenty. Yeah, um, it's an upgrade from 36 and, horsepower. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's and it sounds it sounds awesome. Um, uh, I I can't give you details on the, the cam specs and stuff like that, and that's what, probably where it'd be better if you if you had Paul on the podcast. Um, but four, four into one stainless extractors. Uh, what else? Uh, C C nine auto uh, nine inch LSD. Uh, 32 spline axles. Um, as much as I can, why end why end intake manifold. Um, and, I, and the, the engine. I don't know if you've seen the picture of the engine on on my Instagram, but it's a, a jewel of a thing. Like you know, Lou Lou at Dandy Engines builds and sees amazing amazing high horsepower engines. But even he kind of remarked, oh wow, that's you know he he loved the attention to detail that Paul put into it. Um, just going up, you know, that extra extra step with everything instead of just slapping something together and going there you go. He he really put time into it, and and uh, you can see that it, it, it looks uh, really clean and neat in the engine bay. Like everything's been neatened up in there. Um, you know, the, the inner guards, the, the original inner guards, we couldn't use because the you know it's so it's so low now. Um, so to be able to turn the wheels, you know, Paul fabricated them uh, out of out of just steel. Um, all the wiring's hidden, or as much as, as it's not like you know crazy show car wiring, but it's it's very neat under underneath the bonnet. Yeah, oh, it's it's a credit to the work that they're doing, and you know, like to your vision. I think it's come up awesome, mate. And uh, yeah, is it you know you go on full rego? It's just just sort of a daily driver kind of setup. Yeah, that, I anticipated using it as much as I can. You know, um, if it's not raining, I want to drive it. Uh, when the exhaust was done, I was kind of concerned that it was going to be too loud because it's just, you know, it's four into one hot dogs, uh, X-pipe, and then two small mufflers behind them. And the exhaust kind of finishes in front of the diff. Um, so, it's, you know, there's not a lot of exhaust there for, for the, the engine, um, but it's actually quite mild. There's a little bit of drone just off... The, the cab uh, behind the tank because that that yeah, it's just like a drum that uh that that panel behind or between the the tub and and behind the below the rear window um, a little bit of a drone idle but at run at running it just you know I just love the sound you know whether the window's down or up or if you're idling or you know giving it some that's it, just a, a wicked sound so. Uh, I love it. It's a perfect exhaust. It worked out really well, actually. Um, I'm sure if I went past the cops and I was flooring it, they'd probably want to have an investigation uh, and pull me over and have a look. But touch wood, that hasn't happened yet. So I, I'm pretty 
I'm not, you know, like we were talking about before, if I had that car when I was 20-something, I probably would have ridden a, uh, wrapped around a tree or, or lost my licence. So I'm fairly careful when where I open it up. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much a daily driver. I just refuse to drive it in the rain. And, and Judd thinks I'm a bit crazy for that. He's like, well, why not? You know, the windscreen wipers work. Just just drive it. But it's too nice underneath. Um, you know, too much too much time and, and, to clean and it effort. Yeah. yeah too, and I don't, want to, I don't want to have to put up on the hoist and clean it every weekend. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty careful when I, when I drive it. That uh, I'm looking at Jane Bunn and making sure her, her uh, weather, weather outlook is... Um, Sunny, <laughs> She's, uh, she'll tell you. Um, yeah. So another thing that I, I thought was pretty cool going through your social medias was, you know, you're a, you look like you got a bit of a hobby collecting antique um, toy cars. Yeah, yeah, and that well, that's another extension of dad. Um, dad, and he still has these these corgi and dinky cars that when I was a kid, like he bought them like we were talking about, and he couldn't afford a Ferrari. He was probably in his 20s and buying these you know, little red Ferrari uh, dinky toys and corgi toys. And as a kid, I, I had lots of Lego and I had Matchbox cars, but I was always fascinated with these dinky and corgi toys that Dad had. And he'd let me look at them. And if, I, if he was in the room, I could technically play with them, but I wasn't really playing with them. But just to put them on a coffee table and, and just, you know, get down low and, and look at all the details of them, I was fascinated with them. And I think because I couldn't touch them regularly or, or they weren't mine, that made them a bit more interesting to me. And and because I'm a bit of a collector of things and I like old stuff, when I started going to Campbell Market years ago, I started noticing some of the vendors selling these old dinky and corgi toys. So... It's a slippery slope. You know, you buy one and then, oh, that, that one looks pretty cool. I mean, I've, I've kind of stopped now because it got to a point where it's like, you know, this is crazy. And I'm not having kids, so who am I going to leave these things to? So, so I've kind of I've nipped it in the bud, the, um, the, the hobby of collecting die-cast toys. But every now and then I look on you know, eBay and, and, and see something amazing. I'm like, oh, that, that would look nice. But I'm, I'm holding back now because I want to save for another engine for the truck. So if I focus on that, it will stop me frivolously buying um, Pinky and Coolie toys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's not a bad investment. That that stuff's worth a bit of money now, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I haven't really been looking, paying attention to the prices. And I think it's more to do with, like, if they're boxed, you know, if they're boxed and and they're not play-worn and stuff. You know, I was pretty much just buying anything that I saw at Campbell Market. Um, and, and I'd probably, you know, maybe 10 or $20 at a pop, which still seemed, you know, pretty steep for, for a toy car. But, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe maybe they've all doubled in value. I don't know. But that's another thing. I probably won't, I won't sell them until I really have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's something I probably would consider selling, especially if it would fund... Uh, another engine for the fridge, something a bit more powerful. Mm. No, definitely. Cool. All right, mate. Well, we might wrap it up. Um, been awesome to hear your story, and and yeah, like I said, I I'm a fan of the truck. I think it, I think it looks awesome. I'm a I'm a fan of lowered vehicles, and you know, I I mean, I actually drive a uh, Land Cruiser that's got a few inch lift in it. So you know, to me, there's a time and a place for things. But um, you know, a, a two wheel drive pickup. It doesn't really need to be jacked up, in my opinion. I like them low, so I think it looks cool. Why don't you um, give us a little bit of a shout-out um, for Paul? What, what's his shop called if anyone's looking to get some work done? Sure. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. Um, so his name's Paul Cannemeyer, and uh, the shop's called Road Safe Performance, and he's in Carrum Downs. Um, he's, actually, he's been looking for someone to... to come in and, and do a little bit of work just to free him up for the custom stuff. And he's managed to find a bloke at the moment, actually someone who is a forklift driver that works at Jackie's work. And because of the COVID lockdown, it's actually worked good. So he's been able to help Paul out. Um, but yeah, for like Paul's 67, I don't know how long he's going to keep doing this for, but he's an amazing man. Like he does 12 hour days every day and he's at the shop every day of the week. Uh, so for servicing of vehicles um, and also 
you know, if, if you've got a truck or something you want to do something a bit crazy with, contact Paul at Road Safe Performance. Awesome. And if they want to have a look at your social media, um, they can jump on your Instagram. Yeah, sure. Um, Simeon1809. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on Facebook as well, uh, Simeon Orive. Um, so, yeah, always happy to answer questions on the, the fridge and, and uh, it's enjoyable to have, you know, something to talk to with people. And I appreciate you showing some interest, Michael, and, and chatting to me. No, no, absolutely. It's been great. So, yeah, we'll, we'll put this out on, um, on the podcast and then we've got an Instagram and a Facebook as well. And then there's also a website for the podcast and I'll have a gallery of photos and some information on there. So, no, it's cool. It's, um, you know it's quite a scene building up here in Australia now and, and you know, it's like every week I just see more and more vehicles being built and, and yeah, you know, I, I can't wait for this whole COVID thing to disappear in whatever form that takes. Um, you know, we're, we're supposed to be having a, a big pickup specific truck show in November. Um, right now the jury's out whether that can even happen. So, um, you know, if it's not this year, it'll absolutely be something next year. And, and yeah, it'd be awesome to see your truck there. I'd, I'd love that, Michael. If you can let me know when, when and where that happens, I'd, I'd really appreciate that too. Yeah, perfect. All right, mate. Well, appreciate your time. And, um, yeah, and, and thanks again for having a chat to us. Thanks, Michael. Cheers, mate. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally... If you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket. You'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.